Today we are on the second Sunday of our six-year plan to go through the entire Bible. And so far in the biblical story and in the mini-series we call The Heavens Declare the Glory of God, we are introduced to the main character, the main character of the story of Bible, God, who created everything from nothing. And everything we see and we don't see in this world owes its existence to God. And last week we saw that God created everything good. He created everything by His orderly design. And He created everything for a purpose. For the purpose of revealing Himself and inviting humanity, you and I, to put our faith and trust in Him alone. And this morning, we will look into another facet, another angle of the purpose of creation by looking at the crown or the pinnacle or the highest expression of God's handiwork. What's that? What is the pinnacle of God's creation, my friends? That's you and I. It's us, man, woman, human beings. Today's message is titled, Made in His Image. And the main point of the message is that all people are God's image bearers, made for a purpose and called to a genuine relationship with the Creator. And I will break it down into three main parts. First, we bear God's image in our roles. We bear God's image in our roles. Second, we bear God's image through our relationships. And third, we bear God's image as a crown of glory and honor. Now, the first passage we focus on today is in Genesis 1, um, verses 26 to 28. Now, these three verses present a beautiful Hebrew literary structure called chiasm or chiastic structure. And to see the structure, we can break, it down, the, uh, break down the passage this way. So take a look at this. Now, you can see that the ideas in the beginning portion marked by God's speech, I, I label here as A, so this, this part, is then presented uh, with similar content repeated at the end of this passage uh, I have labeled as A prime. And both B and B prime, you see here and here, talk about God's act of creation. And typically, typically in a chiastic structure, whether um, it is a poem or a, a, a prose in this case. Whatever is in the center is what's being emphasized. And so in Genesis chapter 1, 26 to 28, we see clearly that the emphasis is on what? Is on how humans have been created in the image of God. It is repeated twice here in C and C prime. In his own image, in the image of God. 
That's what the passage wants us to focus on, wants us to see. But what does that mean? What does it mean for humans to be created in the image of God? Well, we shall find the answer in the text that we see on screen here by looking at the beginning and the end of the passage. So here, that's A, repeated. And then we can see B. And we can see the emphasis in the sections C and C prime. First, we see that God speaks to those who are created in his image. As God's image bearers, people who bear God's image, we have the capacity to hear and understand from God. Now, I don't, I don't know how God spoke to Adam. I don't know how God spoke to the first man. Whether it was an audible voice that booms out in nature or a quiet, still voice that rings in Adam's ear or a silent intuition that God plants into his heart and mind. I don't know. But the result is clear. The result is that God's instructions were given to Adam and they were clear to him. And this instruction has to do with the role Adam is to play or the responsibility he has to take up. Now, God instructs the first humans that they are to have dominion over all the living creatures of God's creation. And part of doing that is to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. In other words, this mandate or instruction to have dominion over all creation is not just given to one person, but is given to all humanity, including all who may come after Adam. Now, you have to understand this idea of bearing God's image and having dominion rule over all creation would have been a familiar concept to the original audience listening to this passage from Moses. However, it would have also been understood very differently by their contemporaries, by cultures other than themselves. Now, in the ancient Near East, the area I described last week as being around Egypt and Mesopotamia, you know, where Middle East is right now, the idea of a human being image bearer of a higher being would have been often been exclusively attributed to an elite class of rulers and kings, of rulers and kings only. Royal figures in Mesopotamian and Canaanite cultures were considered sons. They were considered sons adopted by the gods to rule under their authorities and be intermediaries, so meaning they're like priests, to represent their gods before their people and then to represent their people before their gods. So this is not an unfamiliar concept for most of us here who are sitting here who are Chinese, like myself, because in the past, our culture referred to our kings and emperors as Tianzi, son of heaven. But we see here in the biblical creation account God, the creator, did not intend for only a small elite class of people to bear his image or to be called sons of God. 
In fact, this title and honor has been given to the first man, Adam, and all of his descendants. And so as image bearers of God, we are called to rule and have dominion over all other living creatures. You see, where God exercises dominion over all of universe, we as his image bearer, his representatives in the highest order among all of creation, we are given the opportunity to exercise dominion over all other living creatures. Bearing God's image on earth is to have the role of rulership, the role to rule and have dominion over this world. It is to have the role of sonship, to bear the image of God, to be called sons of God. It is a unique role. It is a holy role. And this role is shared among all humanity, all all of us, not just the kings and rulers of this world, but all of us. And because we have this holy mandate to exercise dominion over all creation, and therefore, as most of us understand in this room, that no creature or thing should ever become our object of obsession. It shouldn't. It need not to be. We have dominion over all of creation. We don't need to be subject under any object or being in this world. Or worse, that we call them our idols for worship. Not the fish in the sea, not the birds in the heaven, not the creepy collies on the land. Nothing. And definitely not each other. God is our sole subject, or object rather, of worship. The second aspect of being image bearers of God can be seen in the second chapter of Genesis, read by Akin this morning. After seeing how God created everything to place humanity and to give them purpose in chapter 1, chapter 2 guides us to look at creation from a different perspective. Now, in chapter 1, if you go back and read it, we saw how God created, um, and, and sorry, we saw how God created everything, yes, and relates to humanity. And then now in chapter 2, we see how he desires us to then relate to each other. First, God declares in verse 18, it is not good, not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now, this is the first time in Genesis that God declares something to be not good. Last week, we saw that God saw his creation to be good. So what's not good? What's not good here? It is the fact that the man that God created was alone. Especially, he did not have an equal counterpart existing alongside him. He did not have an equal counterpart existing alongside him. Then scripture goes on to tell us of how God led the man to discover for himself, leading him to discover for himself his need for an equal counterpart, the need for companionship. God brings every beast and bird before the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. I don't know. Now, again, a little bit of 
imagination. Maybe the way he did it was to call each animal the way they sounded like, or like how our ancestors did it in Chinese. <laughs> oh, ma. <laughs> oh, gao. <laughs> this one's easy. Oh, mao. <laughs> or ba. Yo, may may. Perhaps this is what having dominion over all creatures or creation is like. It's, it's fun. You know, you can be creative. It's full of curious discoveries. It requires careful discernment and creative solutions. And having dominion over other creatures doesn't need to mean asserting power over or having forceful dominion over our other creatures. It can mean having interactions with, examining, discovering, naming, placing meaning in this world. Now, I trust that we all do some level of that, whether in our work, in our home, or at church, or when you travel and when you explore this world. Now, these are productive and fruitful things that we can do to reflect God's image. However, if we read the passage, if we continue with our passage today, at the end of his tasks, the man was hit with a dissatisfying thought. What is this thought? That there was not found a helper fit for him. Verse 20. Now, naming animals was fine and all, but, but it's different. It's lonely to be doing it without someone of equal status to share the experience with. Now, a Bible commentator puts it this way. He, the man will not live until he loves, giving himself away to another on his own level. And so God put Adam to sleep, and while he was asleep, took one of his ribs, closed him up, and out of that rib made a woman. And when Adam saw the woman, examined her like he did with all the other animals, he found her to be more unique he found her to be more precious than all other creatures. And therefore he said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. Then Adam names her. She shall be called woman. In Hebrew is Isha. Isha. Because she was taken out of man. In Hebrew is Ish. So Isha was taken out of Ish. Another Bible commentator writes that the woman was made of a rib out of the side of Adam, not made out of his head to top him, not out of his feet to trembled upon by him, but out of his side to be equal with him, under his arm to be protected, and near his heart to be beloved. What a lovely quote to be used in a wedding <laughs> or anniversary if one is coming up. God made human beings, male and female, to exist in equal and suitable partners for one another. It is in relationship with one another that we reflect God's image, not only in marriage, but in siblinghood, in parenthood, in friendship, all relations are there 
with the capacity to reflect God's image in our lives. So praise God. Praise God for creating each of us in His image. Amen? Amen. Either male or female, He created us. We can faithfully reflect God as His image bearers in our roles and relationships. We can. We have that capacity because God has bore us out of His image. But the question is, the question is, will we choose to rule over God's creation as God's faithful image bearer, reflecting God's love and glory to the rest of creation and also directing the rest of creation back to God in worship? Will we do that? Or would we take things into our own hands, attempting to proclaim our own glory apart from God's and directing the world towards our image? away from God's, dismissing the fact that our authority and our identity originates, comes from our Creator. Now, many of us know, many of us read the Bible know, which path did Adam choose? Unfortunately, the latter. We will read soon in chapter 3, later on in our series, the man along with the woman could not rule over their desires to be self-proclaiming and chose instead to assert their will instead of God's. They ate from the tree of knowledge and good and evil, thinking that they will be like God and they would replace God's image in their lives with their own image. No longer do, no longer do they desire to reflect God's glory, but they desire only to proclaim their own. Now, what was the result of that? We sang that today. The result was that there was a tear. That tear was different. The tear in humanity's relationship with God and with each other too. And since then, they were unable to live out their purpose to rule over creation as God's true representatives. They stopped being able to do that. And so they were kicked out of the Garden of Eden which we will discuss that detail later on in the series. And so even though the man and the woman were created in the image of God, because of sin, of how they missed the target of God's purpose for humanity, they are no longer true image bearers of God. No longer true image bearers of God. It was God's intention for humanity, for you and I to be true image bearers of Him, but they denied that privilege and honor. And, even, and ever since then, humanity repeats the cycle. We repeat this pattern of being unable to live as true image bearers of God. Don't we? We see that in ourselves. We see this around us. But family, this is until Jesus Christ came into the world. This is why it's important for God to be reincarnated as one of us and to come to us. He is described, Jesus is described in 1 Corinthians as the image of the man of heaven. And those who follow him and his ways instead of Adam's will have their image of God fully restored. We see here 1 Corinthians chapter 15 from verse 45 to 49. 
I've highlighted the bits and broke it down for you to see the contrast. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. Yes, we've learned that. We've seen this in, 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 in Genesis. The last Adam, who's Jesus Christ, became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spirit that is first, but the natural and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. And was, as was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we were born with the image of Adam. We shall also bear, when we trust in God, when we enter into his death and be resurrected with him, bear the image of the man of heaven. Jesus Christ is the perfect son of God who truly reflected God's image even while being truly human. Nobody else was able to do that. And throughout his ministry, we read from the Gospels of how he always pointed people to God. Even though he was divine, he pointed people to God and how he reflected God's full glory and love to his creation. How did he do that? He loved humanity so greatly and obeyed God so fully that he died an undeserving death. He didn't deserve to die, but he died because he loved us and he obeyed God. But because he was a truly righteous man, death could not hold him. Death was swallowed up by his victory. His resurrection shows us that if we follow him and his ways, we too will emerge victorious and once again restore our true image of God. Um, there was a study, this, this uh, study in, in, in psychology in 1980, where a group of students, uh, of college students, were led to believe that they were perceived to have facial deformities by a person they were interacting with, by an interviewer, when in fact they were not. There, there wasn't any facial deformities. This is to see to what level they felt discriminated, uh, discriminated against or being biased against. So what they did was they put makeup on students' faces uh, to resemble a scar or, or acne or some skin allergies. Then they were given a mirror to show them their faces. Okay, this is what you look like now with this makeup on, okay? But then just before they were brought into a room to interact with the interviewer, they were told, oh, let's uh, sit down, sit, let me sit you down again. Let, let me touch up your makeup. Let me just touch it up before you go in and speak to them. And then what they did was actually they removed the makeup. So they removed the scar, uh, the blemish, the, the acne, the, the allergies from the, uh, the, the person. Um, and after that, he, was, uh, uh, he or she was brought into the room to interact with the interviewer. Now, they were brought in not knowing that the makeup was removed. Okay, so they, they think in their minds that they still have that scar or that blemish on their face. And afterward, they filled out a questionnaire to see if they felt discriminated against. 
or whether they were treated with, with negative bias. And the result found that those who were led to believe that they had markings on their faces, even though they were removed before meeting the interviewer, responded strongly, strongly on feeling negatively perceived by the interviewer. You guys with me? Now, what follows uh, from, from there, what I'm about to say is not scientific conclusion. It's just conclusion and observation by me. But perhaps the results of this study reveal a psychological dimension of our own faith journey, each of our faith journey. Perhaps who we think we are in Christ has more bearing on our psycho psychology than who we actually are in Christ. Let me say that again. Perhaps who we think we are in Christ have more bearing in our psychology than who we actually are in Christ. Even as followers of Jesus, we sometimes forget that our sins are forgiven and that we are clothed with Christ's righteousness. And just like how those makeup of scars and skin defects have been removed, our spiritual blemishes have also been cleaned by the blood of Christ. They have. When you put your trust in Jesus, they've been removed by the blood of Christ. God no longer sees our sin, but sees Christ's righteousness. And with the help of the Holy Spirit, we have the capacity to reflect God as true image bearers of God. But yet, sometimes, we still project ourselves and our will instead of God's. And perhaps it is either because we're afraid or we're just too prideful. It's either one or it's both. We don't think Christ and his righteousness is enough to define and defend our worth and acceptance. And so we still lie to our clients thinking that that's going to save our job. That's what I need to do. We gossip about our friends and colleagues thinking that's going to elevate our social status. We think about our own feelings and interests first, often as the, at the cost of other people's. Because we think we're the only one who knows what's best for ourselves. Not God, not anyone else. You see, when we don't see that our blemishes have been removed and our sins have been forgiven, when we don't see that we are washed clean at the cost of Christ's death and the power of his resurrection, we lock, we chain, we trap ourselves back in the old ways of Adam. Do we want that? I hope the answer is no. But do we do that often? Perhaps. See, but when we depend and rely on Christ alone to receive worth, not trying to create worth out of our own will and power, but to receive worth from Christ alone, when we rely on Christ alone to receive full acceptance, when we rely on Christ alone to defend our dignity, our job security, Christ brings us with him into his triumph over all evil, and chaos 
and even death that sins has brought into this world. And so, family of God, let's together look closely into our spiritual mirror, which is the Word of God. Look into our spiritual mirror, which is the Word of God, and get a truthful sense of who we really are in Christ. Look at it. No longer should we base our self-image on what others say about you or even how you think of yourself. Base it on God's word of truth. And finally, even when humanity had proven to be unable to live up to God's good um, to be God's good steward, and we ruin our relationship with God, with, with, um, with Him and with each other. We listen today from the psalm, psalm number eight. The poet still reminds us that God has crowned humanity with glory and honor and continues to declare us, continues to declare us as His image bearers. Even when we are faithless, we sin, we walk away from God. God remains faithful. His love for His creation endures forever. Why? I don't, don't, I don't, fully, I, I don't fully understand. So how should you and I respond to this good news of hope? How would you respond to this news of renewed purpose? Will you? Will you? Come before the Lord and accept Him. Accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Follow Him and bear God's image as a crown of glory and honor. Will you do that? Or will you still reject it once again like the ancestors of old? By rejecting God, you're not doing anything new. People have been doing that for thousands of years. And so as we meditate on this question, will we accept Jesus and follow him? I want to read for us again from Psalm 8 to give you space to meditate on this question with the words of the psalmist. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens, out of the mouth of babies and infants. You have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are so mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? 
Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. All sheep and oxen and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. Oh Lord, our God, how majestic is your name in all the earth. that you just overwhelm us with your truth. That we have been created to bear your image so that we can enjoy the world you have created us and placed us in. And Father, help us also to not be afraid to face suffering in this world because you have set the perfect example of what it means to love. And to love is to suffer for others. Help us to suffer for purpose. Help us to see meaning and purpose in the ways we live in this world. That we are to reflect your glory, to reflect your love to people so deserving of your love because they are just like us. Each of us are created in your image and we are equal in your sight. God, help us not to elevate our own feelings, our own rights, our own sense of worth above others. That's where conflict comes. That's where war is being fought. Help us to not participate in that destructive lifestyle and force in this world. But God, help us to look into our spiritual mirror and find our real identity. That we are truly loved and fully known by you. God, help us to follow you. Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I truly believe, as it has been happening for me in the short life that I've lived so far, that when we meditate on God's Word and we let it fill our hearts and minds like a tree planted by streams of water, we will be nourished and we will be transformed to be more joyful bearers of God's image. And as our mission statement says, follow Jesus, be truly loved, be fully known. When we embrace our true identity in Christ, that's when true followership, true discipleship can flourish. You can't follow a person you're not joyful about following. You, you can't follow when you're just begrudgingly thinking like, who am I? Why am I so in pain? Not knowing that you are loved and known. 
And that is why the leadership of this church is leading you into a chronological and Christ-centered journey through the biblical story, as well as reading through the Psalms. If you're still on the fence, you still are not participating with us on this journey together because something is not clear to you, and I can empathize with that. I, I, I'm often not a very good communicator. <laughs> I, I want to help you, though. I want to offer you and, and understand how I can come alongside you, maybe answer questions that you may have or explain things in more detail. And so at the end of every sermon, starting from now on, there will be a QR code which you can scan and ask questions relevant to the sermon or this, uh, from this Sunday or this, the Sundays before and just engage in conversation. Uh, after the benediction, I will dedicate five to ten minutes to respond to them. My answers may not be the best ones. I may not even have an answer, but it's, that's not the point. The point is that we engage in conversation with each other about the things that are coming to your mind. And if there isn't enough time or that I'm not able to respond to some questions right away, I will try my best to type them out and respond them as posts uh, on the online platform of which we're using for our reading plan. Now, apart from questions and response, your small group will also be discussing through the passages that are preached every, every week. Now, even though our, our small groups right now don't meet every week, some of us meet every other week, some of us meet once a month. Um, after each sermon, I will post, yet again on the online platform, so if you're not registered yet, here's the QR code to do that. The platform for the reading plan, I will post a group discussion guide. That way, even if your group doesn't meet physically that week, you can use that guide to engage each other in discussions, whether you meet people in person or you engage each other over the week in your chat groups. And so with that, let's sing response song together.